and welcome to Rehydrate. This season, we'll be reading and discussing Liu Shishin's The Dark Forest, book number two of the Remembrance of Earth's Past series. This is season three, episode five, Droplet, where we'll be discussing the second third of part three. In season one, we talked about the three-body problem, and the hosts have varying degrees of levels of knowledge of this book and the rest of the series. My name is Dan, and I've read the entire series. This is Tim, and I've only read up to this current week's reading. This is Amin. I've only read up to this week's current reading. And also, along with Dan and Talia, I co-host the Rehydrate Spoiler Cast, where we talk a lot more about this series and get into a lot of depth on everything. So if you've read the entire series and want to dive deeper or you don't care about spoilers at all like me, you should check that out. This week, we don't have any follow-up, so let's jump right into the summary. A lot of stuff happens. There's a very consequential pivot point for not only this book, but the entire series. So humanity prepares for the inevitable Trisolaran surrender by debating exactly how generous they should be when they do reach the solar system. They eventually come to the agreement that they call the Strong Survival Plan that would grant the rights of the Trisolarans to settle on Mars after the probe, now called the Droplet, due to its looking like a droplet of Mercury, comes into visual range. Humanity considers the Droplet to be a peace offering. Diggy who has awoken from hibernation, leads a team to be among the first humans to have contact with the droplet. They are just one ship in a combined fleet of over 2,000, lined up in a rectangular formation that is sent to encounter the droplet as both a show of unity between the humanity, but actually just so no fleet can claim that they got there first, and a show of force to the Trisolarans. When Dingy's team gets to the point where they're able to physically examine the, the droplet, they realize that no matter how powerful magnification they use, the object still seems perfectly smooth, and even after hitting with a hammer, Dingy realizes that humanity has vastly underestimated Trisolaris' technical capability, since they're able to build large objects out of what's called strong interaction forces, something humanity thought could only be done at the atomic level, and yells, stupid children, run. This realization comes a little bit too late for not just his team, but nearly the entire combined space fleet. The droplet rapidly accelerates and takes an unfathomably precise route directly through the engines of the entire fleet, causing them to explode in succession like a string of firecrackers. The only ships that aren't destroyed in the attack are the Quantum and Bronze Age, which only survive because prior to contact, Dinghy convinced them to enter a deep sea state, allowing them to escape at a high speed when the battle starts. On the other side of the solar system, Zhang Beihai and the Natural Selection continue to speed away, pursued by Blue Space, Enterprise, Deep Space, and Ultimate Law. Initially, the goal was to capture and return Natural Selection, but after they learn about the droplet attack, they quickly realize that they are now the only hope for humanity and form a new civilization called Starship Earth that faces an uncertain future of deep space travel. Starship Earth tries to organize itself for survival and cooperation for the long journey ahead of them, but it is not too long before they realize that none of the ships have enough fuel or resources on their own to make it to any destination. Separately, they all make plans to capture the resources of the other ships while inflicting what they see as necessary casualties of the crews of those ships so they can continue. The leadership of the natural selection comes with realization and goes to John Behai, now back in command, that he must fire infrasonic H-bombs to take out the crew but preserve the other ships. John Behai had already come to this realization and was prepared to give the order, but he hesitates at the last moment and is too late when Ultimate Law launches the attack first killing Zhang Beihai, Dongfeng Yashu, and the rest of the crew. Blue Space was the only ship ready for the attack, and ultimately it was the only ship to survive the Battle of Darkness. Meanwhile, on the other side of the solar system, Quantum and Bronze Age have come to the same realization and ended up with the Bronze Age killing the Quantum's crew. 
Blue Space and Bronze Age leave memorials for the killed crew of the other ships and accelerate away from the solar system to start their journey to distant stars. So a lot happens, and I'm gonna gonna go through some of the new character. Believe it or not, we're still getting introduced to some new characters. Um, not many, but a couple, um, and a lot, lot of ships. One of the new characters we're introduced to is Major Shi Si, a science officer for the Quantum, who accompanies Dingy to make contact with the droplet. Ensign Zhao Xing and Captain Li Wei, uh, who analyze the droplet attack. Lan Shi, a science officer for the National Selection trained in psychology. And now for the ships. So uh, Quantum is the science ship that Dingy and uh, his, his crew are on, a task with making contact with the droplet. Bronze Age, a stellar class warship. Mantis, a small unnamed ship that captures a droplet. Infinite Frontier, the first ship in the formation that is destroyed by the droplet. Yang Fong, Foghorn, Antarctica, Ultimate, Adam, Ganges, Columbia, Justice, Masada, Proton, Yandy, Atlantic, Sirius, Thanksgiving, Advance, Han, Tempest, Mehi, Newton, Enlightenment, Crustaceous, Nelson, Green, Himalaya, Thor, Messenger, Genesis, Einstein, Xia, and Ark. Just some of the ships that are destroyed by the droplet. Beifang and Wanning Kunpen, uh, ships that are analyzed droplet attack, and ships that follow the natural selection are Blue Space, Enterprise, Deep Space, and Ultimate Law. So, like I said, uh, this is a very consequential episode, not only for this book, but for the entire series. So let's just get into your initial thoughts. So this is one of the things that Dan did not spoil for me. So I thought this was, I think the last book too, there was one big set piece that Dan didn't spoil for me. So I think this was the big set piece. It was, there were a lot of ships names. So keeping track of that was a little uh, confusing sometimes, but the, really? the whole, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but the whole attack and strategy and all that I thought were, were really interesting and well done. And I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll talk about this on the next episode, which is our last episode. But I, I think I, in, I think the writing, I find this to be more comprehensible than the last book that we read. And so I mm. think the, the writing is more exciting and more, um, more kinetic, I guess. And maybe it's just this part of it but uh i i like this and i think i think it adds a whole new level of intrigue to the trisolarians because um i i think last time there was this there was a sense that the humans are just getting i don't know over preparing and clearly they are still under prepared yeah so when, when you say more you said more comprehensible how, how do you mean by that well i i felt like the last um so three body problem I, I thought the writing style was a lot more stilted and heavy handed and mm. it, it was, it was harder for me to parse the language and, and the words and, you know, just, it, it was, it was a less enjoyable read. So this is more enjoyable and it just feels, feels faster and smoother to me anyway. How about compared to the beginning of this book? Cause I feel like these two sections, like the crisis, the beginning of the crisis era and the current era that they're in, like the year 200, uh, it totally separate books. They could have been right. So like, how do you, do you feel like the writing styles are different between the two? I mean, it's the same author and the same. Translator. Yeah. Same translator. Yeah. Um, I don't think I picked up on that as much. I, I think, I think the plot advances a lot faster. So maybe yeah. that's part of why it feels faster, but I don't think it's necessarily, um, I, I, I don't think the writing style is different. I just think the plots are very different. Yeah, I was thinking like on our last book, the the long way this wrong planet, like we complained or I complained that the 
there was no other plot that happened. And this is like nonstop plot. Like just too many things are happening at once, actually. It's a pretty, pretty big contrast I found. Yeah, I think this writing like plays to the strength of the series. Um, it, it's kind of a bit more about big, cool things happening. And when big, cool things happening, like I think it, it picks up and he's a he's a better writer, you know, whether it's the, the translator or Lucia Shin himself, they, you know, they're, they're uh, better writers at depicting those those sorts of things when uh, compared to the first half of the book, which is much more character focus and kind of much more like uh, focused on the inner, you know, inside of the heads of the characters. Um, yeah, and it's he's clumsier at doing that. I, I think, like my thoughts on this, like you know, I was pretty, uh, you know, pretty surprised, uh, you know, how how things played out here, um, or pretty surprised considering my understanding, like going first going into the chapter, you know, um, or this section, you know, I was kind of unsure at this point as as to what sort of like alien encounter story this would be. Is he going to maybe subvert our expectations a bit and this? end up being not like an interstellar war story you know you kind of planted some seeds there but kind of going off of the more like kind of meta expectation that this is kind of a big sci-fi trilogy and yes there's going like assuming that there's going to be conflict of some sort it didn't end up being like a huge surprise to me that like you know it went in this direction that you know oh they are hostile they're not friendly um, <laughs> but you know, it could have gone either way for me as like, it was like the setup for this, you know, for the big event that happens, you know, like it was leading to like, you know, I could tell something was up like, oh, they're sending all of their ships to uh, encounter this thing. Yeah. <laughs> and like, like I expected something not expected to happen, that it would destroy the entire fleet. That that was a bit of a shock. Yeah. How about you? I mean, did like, so for me, like when I read this, I had no idea. I, I was definitely lulled into the sense of security. Like, oh, I guess humanity's awesome now. I guess we're going to just take them out. And I can like the, you know, like there were a couple of clues, you know, on rereading, like, you know, Dingy, the, his his things and Zhang Beihai, like his, his, his stuff he's talking about. Like, I think they set up the seeds, like this is probably not a good idea, but like, I was definitely like lulled. Like, how about you? I mean, were you, I, I mean, I, I know you're spoiled on it. um, So I don't know how much that led into your, your reading of it but i guess like what was your level of surprise on the on this on this part i was the same way i expected because of the spoiler cast i expected something big to happen but i didn't expect this so yeah. it was uh i appreciated you and talia not spoiling this for me because it was <laughs> it, it was a it was a pretty cool reveal so i i think you know as, as much as someone who co-hosts the spoiler cast can be surprised i was pretty surprised by this as well yeah and Tim, actually, like, you know, when, you know, thinking when you were talking about last time uh, on the last episode, you had mentioned a couple of times, like, oh, maybe are, are the, are, is humanity just overconfident and tri-cylinders are powerful. So, like, it seemed like you were trying, you, you, you were definitely, you know, picking up on that a little bit. Um, obviously, I was trying not to say anything, but <laughs> yeah. So it seems like maybe like you're a more critical reader than I am, or maybe I'm more easily uh, fooled. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know how how much of it is the kind of, Again, the meta expectation of this being like an interstellar, you know, trilogy alien encounter story, like plays into you know my my suspicion that uh, things are going to go awry or that he's going to you know subvert your expectations in some way. You know, so far up to here, it hasn't been like a big like twist, not like story. You know, mm. like you know, it's been more like gradual revealings and unveilings of mysteries. So that's true. Yeah, he's not. I don't think his, his writing is more, yeah, like 
M Night Shyamalan kind of twist, right? It's more, it's reveal, it's like it's always been in front of you, but it like it's just like, do you have enough information to put it all together? But like when you look back at it, like, oh, okay, yeah, that all makes sense. I, I, I think, I think for me, the the surprise, and, and same thing with the three body problem, where where they split the. Sorry, this is a spoiler. If you haven't read Three Body Problem, but when they when they uh, cut the ship, um, it's his surprises for me are more in terms of scale. Like you're yeah. you're operating on this scale, and then something massive happens, and you didn't expect it to be that massive. Um, I think that's those are the kinds of surprises I think he does. It's like you think you're operating in this world, and then suddenly it becomes a lot more intense. It's cool science flourishes, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I think the thing that, um, like, this part is so different from the first half of the book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in that, and that's always what has thrown me off and always, you know, left this question mark in my head as to what kind of, you know, story is this going to be? Because the first half of the book is just all about the wall facers and character and these characters, like, inner monologues, especially, you know, Luigi's, but... Yeah, he barely shows up in this this part. Yeah, I never quite knew what's whether this was going to be maybe a more restrained story, and I, I don't want to say thoughtful because I'm not like that. That makes it sound like I'm like disparaging this part, which is you know. But it, is it going to be a more meditative type story, or is it going to be you know a, a big event and plot driven story? And the first half is so slow and so not plot driven that it feels like a different book. F- yeah. this part and as you said you know they could be separate books um it's it's just such a hard swerve even yeah. in relation to the the jump ahead in the future like that you know uh, it was a hard cut but i expected him to go to the future at some point like obviously i knew that this was a, you know, a story told over you know m- many centuries but yeah. for it to take this kind of like you know kind of swerve into something where it's like the, the characters barely met matter i mean not to say that they don't matter in that like obviously jean bahai is very consequential the you know at least the one fork of this story this has been such a strange series in that given how this section ends with a soul ship like drifting off to an unknown future like like i have no idea whether this ship would like factor into the story later on or this whole section of the story with Jean Bahai just ends up being a footnote and a plot that has like reached reaches you know its conclusion here five six of the way through the second book and that like it is entirely possible to me given uh, you know that he might not ever revisit that Hmm. and you know given the way he sort of drops characters from you know like we, we there's barely any characters from the first book there's such a hard you know like the first half of this book is so different from the second half of this book that this is just such a strange series to me in that there's like kind of like nothing anchoring the story other than just being kind of like a neutral observer in this story i guess of humanity interfacing with the trisolarans Sure. So would it bother you if they don't uh, bring that story back up? Like if it's if the story just ends up with like, oh, they're just drifting. They're, they're you know, they're going however many light years into to that distant star. Right. Like who knows what happens Would that. Would that bother you if they don't pick up that thread again? I don't think so, because um, I th- like it is entirely within my expectation now that he would just kind of cut off that 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 part of the story. Or mm-hmm. that the whole point of that section of the story is just to convey to the reader the, the almost like 
depressing and like and like sad like space travel could be or how like uh yeah. you know like how forlorn and like intimidating actual like the actual reality of of space travel and you know any incursions that we take into space might end up being well let's uh let's get back to that but let's because uh, i first wanted to continue to analyze the droplet attack a little bit more and then yeah we'll definitely talk about the battle of darkness in, in a little bit so one of the things I was thinking as I was reading this and the, you know, for the whatever, whatever time I've read it <laughs> was a sort of analogous big kind of uh, event episodes or event things that happen. And the the two things that came to mind as I was reading it was the Red Wedding from, from the Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, you know, obviously not, no spoilers, I guess, for, for that, but that's a big concept. People who know the series or watch the TV show will know what I'm talking about. Um, that's a really big event that happens is really surprising and then the other one was the maybe not as surprising but another big consequential space battle which is the battle of wolf 359 in star trek next generation where the the enterprise and not the enterprise actually they they come later the rest of the star starfleet ships meet the borg cube in uh, wolf 359 and they all get destroyed and it seems like the enterprise kind of comes in later and sees the wreckage of the of the battle and it was only 40 ships i've read I've, I've, i looked it up and it was only 40 ships that got destroyed which is a lot i guess for starfleet but here's like over 2,000 ships got destroyed so like that's kind of the the scale of this battle versus versus that one but those are the two big ones are there any other examples that you guys can think of of big consequential pivot points in series or you know kind of surprising things that happened that that were analogous in your minds nothing immediately comes to mind but yeah i guess the red wedding would be the kind of closest analog i can think of or there's lots of moments in those books but yeah that's the biggest yeah. one though <laughs> so i i haven't read or seen game of thrones or any of it um i'm familiar with red wedding because it's been spoiled but it, isn't the difference that red wedding there were actually characters that you care about and here there's uh going back to what tim was saying earlier there are two there are two thousand ships which is a lot of people dying, but it's not anybody that we, um, I guess the scale of that or the scope of that doesn't mean as much as it would if it was 20 characters that you'd been reading for 500 pages all died. So that's true. Um, well, we, we have dinghy, but yeah, he's the only, yeah, thing. he's, yeah, he's a, a side character. And, right. And yeah. I mean like the, the scope is different, right? Yeah. That's more, th- this is more like, Oh, humanity as you know, is, is in the real trouble now, <laughs> you know, before it's like, Oh, it's in trouble because they're wedding, right. Because, because of the stuff that happens. But now it's like, Oh, all humanity is, is kind of in a bad spot now because not only our spaceship is destroyed, but we really, really underestimated the Trisolarans and like, you know, what's humanity's reaction going to be to that? And, you know, I'll tell you that, but we'll find out you know, what humanity's reaction is that it's going to be in the next chapter. But yeah, I, I think that's the that's the difference. Yeah, we don't see any, a lot of characters, only Dingy that uh, actually gets killed because of this. But yeah, I get your point. Yeah, the contrast that I mean drew there, like, occurred to me as well. Like, it is a very analogous in that it is, a, you know, like something that shifts the overall plot in a, you know, in a different direction. Um, yeah. But it does highlight the... The, the different focus that this series has on something, you know, compared to something like Game of Thrones, where it is much more character focused here. And here it's like my, you know, my emotional reaction to it is less like book throwing. Oh my God, what did you just do? You know? Um, yeah. You know, because you have that, 
you know, investiture in the characters, or maybe not necessarily even the specific characters, but the the faction that they represent. Whereas here, it's like obviously being a human, I should care about humanity's future. But there's just something about this series in that it doesn't have like these sort of emotional anchor characters that, or this like consistent like character through line in that I again feel like kind of like a neutral observer um in this like grand wikipedia article like you know chronicling (laughs) you know the um, time that earth met the trisolarans um and that doesn't mean it's not engaging and it's interest you know and, and that it's interesting but it doesn't have that quite same like emotional impact it's more of like awe at the thing unfolding before you sure all right so for listeners i'm going to put like a spoiler warning in the chapter marking because i just want to talk more about the fun wedding and like the more details so if you haven't read or watched game of thrones series or song of ice and fire series like look at the chapter mark and skip to the next chapter anyway so the thing the thing that's i think the most analogous to red wedding and in this one is that in up until that point in the books it seemed like the north was on the march right the north you know, Rob Stark was making all these advances into the territory and like he made all these alliances and, you know, he seems like he's on his way to take, to take over um, the, the King's Landing, right? Like he's, he's on his way. And then, you know, he gets betrayed by the phrase and he gets killed and everyone's gets killed. And then like, and then all the Northern, Northern leaders also get killed because of it. Right. So like their entire advance is like completely stopped uh, in, yeah. their, in their tracks. And like, they're not really a, a, a consequential uh, player in the in the war in the wars anymore right so that's why i was thinking like obviously it's like a big surprising event that happens too and like the the characters um you know the, the, the it is more of a gut punch like when rob stark gets killed and you know catelyn stark gets killed um but the kind of the, the pivot point of like where your expectations are um versus like where they end up after the event um seem seem pretty uh, analogous to me where the north now is not any a player and now humanity is not a player because oh we have no chance of beating the trisolarians because like this drop but can just go through anything so that's that's one of the big things i was thinking of yeah for sure that it is an enormous pivot in what you think the uh like course of this story might go because i think he does do a good job you know planting some seeds you know like with uh, the technological success of humanity you know like you know, exceeded my expectations. Um, yeah, it allowed for some ambiguity as to, like, I don't know which direction this is going in until uh, the kind of setup for, you know, the droplet, you know, ha- is occurring and that sort of sense of foreboding takes over. And I'll say, as, like, a rereader of this series, it's a lot of fun to, like, l- reread the se- the humanity's arrogance around all these things. They're like, oh, what, what, should we give them Mars? Is that enough? Like, are we being nice enough? And the humanity's like, well, we kind of admire them now. Like, they they did a, you know, it's a hard hard thing they did coming out here. So let's let's give them a bone and, like, let's give them Mars. Like, and like all this, like, just, like, total human arrogance is it's really fun to read as a, as a rereader. So I would encourage everyone to both reread this series multiple times as well because, like, there's a lot of that, that stuff that happens. But you mentioned that there were, you know, hints along the way uh, with like Zhang Bahai and Ding Yi. Um, yeah. You know, like what what would you say some of those hints are? Like, when... well, I think the biggest one is like when when Ding Yi says, "Oh, you know, I have a bad feeling about this. How about you guys just go into deep sea state?" And everyone's like, "All right, I guess." Like, just the humor. Like, there's no harm in it, right? Oh, okay. I thought I thought you meant like from like earlier in the like earlier in the book. I think there's some other one. Uh, is it... 
I forget that, but as I was reading it, I was like thinking like, oh, they're kind of, they're kind of hinting at it, um, yeah, but the big dingy one was the, but the big one. Yeah. yeah. I definitely picked up on that. And again, that like the beginning of this section where there's, you know, where you're shifting to DEA's perspective and they're examining the droplet. Like I knew that something was up. I knew that, you know, something bad was going to happen, you know, maybe not at this scale, right. um, but you know, there's yeah. definitely a sense of foreboding. Like it wasn't like immediately out of left field when the thing happens. Well, they keep talking about like, oh, well, I guess the worst thing that can happen is like the droplet explodes, right? Like the probe explodes and self-destructs because, you know, that, and then the people die because of that. Like that's the worst thing that possibly could happen. Um, sure. Yeah. And then they it, had and then, anticipated that. Yeah. Yeah. And then it blow it, it quote unquote blows up and everyone's like, well, all right, well, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's also the sense of foreboding, you know, at the beginning when you realize that they're sending their entire fleet to, to yeah. this thing. <laughs> and it, it's 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 funny how that how it happens because it's like the the diff the three different fleets are like competing against each other and like no one can possibly like have the advantage of like contacting a first. Like, all right, let's just all line up in a row and then none of us will be first. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it, it almost seems a little, uh, yeah, like too on the nose with hindsight. Uh, right. I mean, John Behai realizes it much later on. He says, like, oh, that was a that was a grievous error by the, <laughs> or that was an unforgivable error by in strategy. But yeah, it was like you know when the protagonist in a slasher flick or something runs upstairs instead of out the door. And... <laughs> uh, and and one other thing that I, when I was reading um, this time, I mean, I, I definitely re- realized it, but like, because you had mentioned it last time, you had said, oh, we're going to get like any kind of explanation of space score with the head four. And we do. And now I'll read the, the point here. So the quote is, uh, from this vantage point, observers saw crimson flowers of blood bloom from the white space, the size of a football field, forming extremely thin layers that spread out ultimate, and ultimately merged into one under the immense force. So yeah, we got some good space carnage there. By the oh, yeah. Board board. <laughs> yeah, I was way into that. Yeah. Uh, again, <laughs> again, space gore is, uh, <laughs> it's one of those yeah little hooks like, oh, I can't wait to see the, uh, the TV show. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I forgot about that happening, but as I was reading, I was like, oh yeah, it tends to be the end of this one. <laughs> Not to sound like a, you know, a, a ghoul or anything. I just... <laughs> It's cool. it's cool space stuff. Like I, I definitely like yeah enjoy that kind of like when I I remember when you know watching the expanse like some of the the stuff that happens around that yeah. um, like when people get shot like I remember um, in the in spoilers from the expanse I guess I'll I'll also put this in there but like when someone gets shot and like they can't heal in zero gravity uh, and they have to get them to gravity in order to heal I thought that that stuff was all like really cool details uh and then you kind of see it you know people get shot and like when they get shot they don't they just kind of like go limp in space but don't move that's also pretty interesting one other thing that i wanted to bring up was there is a a fan film that someone made called water drop if you look it up on youtube and i'll also put the links in the show show notes it's a it's a film that someone put together kind of around this the this section of the book it's really abstract um and it's not it doesn't really tell the story there is kind of like voiceovers of both some of the some of the parts of the book like quotes from the book itself but also like scientists talking about um meeting alien life and that kind of thing at the very end they kind of show the droplet coming in and um in the big formation of a spaceship so the apparently Lucian liked it 
I don't, he said uh, it showed exactly how he would portray the water drop and he loved the video and the team did a fantastic job. So oh, it's, it's worth watching. It is very abstract. So it's not like detailing the plot one by one, but it's worth watching. How, how long is that video, Dan? Uh, it's like 10, 10 minutes or so, oh, okay. 10, 10, 15 minutes, something like that. And it doesn't spoil or anything. It spoils this. Well, I don't even know what that spoils. It spoils that there's a droplet. Doesn't oh. doesn't show the attack or anything. Okay. But there there are quotes in the book. So I mean, if listeners have got this far in the podcast, like it's safe to watch. <laughs> it doesn't spoil anything past past this one or into the next book. Well, let's get into the next big section of this this section of this book is the battle of darkness i don't know if they call it the battle of darkness but that's what it's called it's yeah you know, sort of like the red wedding <laughs> uh it's the it's the, the name for the other big battle that happens um that i guess probably none of us expected that was going to happen so shortly after uh after after this other big event that happens um so it's not quite to the scale of i mean nothing is to the scale of the droplet attack you know not two thousand ships get destroyed but you know it is it's more character driven like more person driven i guess uh and more of a psychological experiment of what happens. So the the thing I I thought was interesting, and I think someone mentioned this to me in one of the interviews, but I can't remember who, and I'm sorry that I can't remember, but the 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 thing that stood out to me is when uh, Dong Feng and Xu and the and their her team are talk quote unquote talking about like what they should do. They do it all with their eyes, and like all the whole chapter is in uh, italics, and like there's only like very like, little words said. And so, one of the quotes is like, as they stared at each other, their interlocking gazes were information conduits linking their three souls together and communicating everything at high speed. The initially reading this, I was like, that's a lot of information to kind of just look at through glances. Like they're being very, very specific about the information, but it may also make me think like. Are the humans really good at communicating wordlessly now since they've been living under the trisolent you know, the the threat of the sophons for two hundred years? Like maybe that's just like a kind of a natural evolution of communication. Um and I didn't even think about it until someone mentioned it to me and I read it on this one. So I don't know, what do you guys think about that? I think it's you know hard to take that you know, such a detailed conversation could take place, you know. Uh, um, yeah. You know, with <laughs> Uh, glances and eyebrow raises and whatever, you know, but that seems to be the most logical explanation for it. I mean, I think we, you know, earlier in the book, I think there was discussion about how, I think it was during the wall facer part, if I'm not misrecalling, but wasn't there even discussion about something like this, about maybe not necessarily sign language, but like leveraging, you know, human um, facial expressions or something like that as a way of communicating to defeat this, you know, to circumvent the sophons i don't remember that specifically but i I also might have might have missed that too i mean it might have been like a more natural evolution of the hides plan to elevate human intelligence um even though that wasn't really his plan um but like that could that could have been an extension of like well maybe the plan is to allow us to communicate without words and you know just kind of sending thoughts between each other so the sophons couldn't interact and i don't know that there's anything I don't think there's anything happening there where they're communicating telepathically. It just seems like they're just really the humanity because they've known about this threat for so long is just really good now at communicating without words, and you know it can communicate a lot of a lot of detailed information without explicitly having to say it. Yeah, I think that's kind of what's going on here. Um, you know, it, it's it's to a you know, level that's hard for us to comprehend, but 
Right. Yeah, I, I, I think in the entire sci-fi context of this, I, I let this go, but it, mm. it did it did require more of my imagination than a lot of the other things in this. Um, yeah. <laughs> just, it, I, I feel like there was a little bit of sciency hand waving around this just to move the plot forward. But I think he tries to, you know, the characteristic of this series. I think he tries to shotgun a lot of scientific or like, or the sociology or, or like sociolog, you know, both like hard and soft science like concepts at you. And I think he's just like he. He's better at some things than others. Um, you kind of have to yeah, just kind of take it at face value, you know, that humans could have evolved this way 200 years or so, or at least developed these skills. But yeah, I mean, this is kind of like one of the, like, like, like there's no, he, he doesn't hold back at trying to like present an idea, uh, a sort of big idea for you in, in almost any context. And like this maybe is one of like the less convincing ones, but yeah, I think he's he's trying to like present this kind of soft science sociological idea as well. Communication methodology aside, how how what did you guys think of the kind of uh, more sociological uh, aspect of this, where the, they try to form a community and then they ultimately realize that like it's not going to work; they don't have enough resources. It's pretty abrupt. Like, um, yeah, <laughs> he, he he just you know, this could be a whole, you know, story unto itself. And I, I think I had even like uh, mentioned this movie in an earlier episode, um, you know, it reminded me a bit of this uh, Swedish sci-fi film called Aniara, um, you know, that is kind of about this in a way. Like I, I had very little, like like the sense of time that is passed um, is like not conveyed super well. So, yeah, you know, like did this happen over, like this could have happened over the course of like, month you know weeks months years um you know all kind of compressed into this you know one sort of sub chapter yeah it did seem like a it, it was an extended period of time but i don't think years i think maybe months that that, that was the impression i got anyway because they, they do a lot of they do a lot of setup of like uh you know john behai just kind of like hanging around now and he's like looking at you know trying to familiarize with the ship and they're setting up a new government and there's a lot of stuff that's happening and it seems like that wouldn't have happened in a couple of days right it's like over the the course of a couple of months, but obviously like they're in a new extreme circumstance and they need to kind of move fast on, on establishing these things. And they're all from military background. So they're able to kind of move on it fast or, you know, fast enough to get things going, I guess. Yeah. Like, you know, like I said, I think this is a, a topic that could obviously support like a much larger story um, and a much more deeper examination for it. But like with the you know, whole face talking thing, he really tries to cram a lot of, uh, you know, sci-fi, both, you know, both hard science and sociological concepts into these books. One, one of my interviews uh, with with a listener named Priya, she had mentioned another series, another short story that was called The Cold Equations. And again, I'll put spoilers for, for that one. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. But the the idea is that like the someone stows away on this this ship this like, kind of long range ship and with, with no like bad motives, they just like happen to want to go see their, their, her brother. And when they realize it, like, they're like, Oh, you know, we're not going to be, I'm not gonna be able to get to this. And then the ship's delivering like vaccines or something to this remote planet. And when they, re he realizes that this girl's on the, on the ship, he has to basically space her because he's saying like, this ship isn't, doesn't have enough resources and, and fuel to get to this place and be able to stop in time. Uh, to be able to deliver this vaccine and save, you know, tens of tens of people. I think it's like 20 or something like it, it's not 
it's more than one, right? There's a lot of people like we say by getting this vaccine there. And so like, just there's like this very hard calculation of like, can we, you know, I, I'm not gonna be able to, to do my job if you're on this thing. So I have to kill like this little girl. And so similarly here, like the all five ships come to the same realization, like our species is not gonna be able to survive if we all try to get there together and we all try to work together. So like the only real choice we have is that, you know, we need to kill the other people. It sucks, but that's what has to happen. Yeah, I don't know if this is in like the sci-fi water at the moment, but, uh, you know, there was just a movie that came out on Netflix called Stowaway that yeah, like, I, think that, I think I think that is <laughs> must be based off of that short story because it's so, you know, the, I, the I story so. is so similar. Yeah, she Priya, I've been emailing her and she also mentioned that one. So, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. It, I think it's very much based on on that one. And there's a Twilight Zone episode. I think it's 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 in the, it's a story from like the 50s or 60s. And so it's one of those kind of the thought experiments that that kind of pops up into culture. Yeah. And to I think, you know, the overall thing that I think all of these different stories are trying to convey is just how difficult space travel is. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and uh, like he even alludes to that in uh in this section here with Zhang Bihai basically saying that we had need to invent a new morality, you know, in order to be the kind of people who can endure this and make those cold calculations if we were to survive. Like, you know, this is a really interesting topic and, you know, it can, again, support, I think, a, you know, a larger, a whole series into itself. But like, what type of, what, what sort of, what aspects of human morality are you going to have to throw out in order to, become the kind of people who can be spacefarers. Yeah, I, I I like this whole aspect of of the social theory or, or whatever. And um as I was reading it, I was thinking of this last year, how there were certain people, um, you know, with the whole pandemic, how there were certain groups of people who did not want to change any of their behaviors and there were other people who were willing to go above and beyond. And I I think I think getting consensus from humanity on how to do anything is going to be unlikely. So I like that they have, you know, they establish these captains and leaders and whatever to kind of drive some of that. Cause I think, again, I think this last year has shown me that if this actually happened, we would all just argue and end up killing ourselves. So it's, <laughs> I guess that also leads to an interesting question. So we only see these, these kind of calculations and, and conversations from the point of view of the, the people on the five ships and, and a little bit from the other two ships, what do you think humanity's reaction is going to be? Cause like they're still in contact with these ships, right? Like we still, we still see the messages back and forth uh, between them. So how, how do you think humanity themselves are going to react to it? Are they going to be okay with it? Be like, well, I guess, you know, I mean, I, they did let them become an independent nation. They gave their blessing they said, all right, well, I guess you're, you're star starship earth. Right. But now that we have this, pretty brutal attack happening like what is humanity's reaction going to be yeah it's hard to not uh, think that it's going to be kind of a total emotional meltdown for uh you know for society uh at least for a, a while like it, it's still not going to happen for another 200 years or so yeah you know so uh does humanity have time to process this and bounce back from it right i mean best best case scenario like there are they are able to get to some remote planet but like the people on earth they're not going to survive they're like, you know, will people on Earth be okay? That like, well, at least humanity is going to survive, or or there's going to be selfish or that kind of thing. Like, th there's no there's no scenario where like they're, they're going to come back to help the people on Earth. Like, they're just gone, right. right? And so, like, best case scenario, like humanity as a 
species survives. Yeah, I guess you would if you were a, if you were a human and you you know wanted cared about humanity, you know, surviving. Like this is a hail mary shot at least for human. You know, humanity persists somewhere. But it is it is strange that he uses the yeah, the the language that this is you know like right at the end of this you know section carrying with them the entirety of human thoughts and memories and embracing all of earth's glory and dreams like he's sort of intimating that the human like humanity back on earth is doomed already yeah i mean it definitely like, seems like that way, obviously right? <laughs> yeah i mean i mean you know that's why you know you're not sure where the story picks up from here like obviously he needs to address what's you know what's happening on earth and does our perspective you know shift back to earth and like is this this one ship the end of this this section of the story and then we just deal with you know earth and you know their reaction from here on out or could it possibly you know what could 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 the third book be about that ship and what's going on and that you know like like refocus on what's going on on that ship like it could be either way is from my perspective at this moment yeah because the story you know is not hesitated to like take these hard turns and given that like there's no anchor character or you know with the exception of maybe luigi and dasher who's you know even though they seem very very uh unimportant to the story at the moment yeah, I mean, fortunately, we only have, you know, one more episode to find out <laughs> what happens. Uh, you know, we have a whole other book after that. But yeah, I'll I'll leave it for, for next episode. The other thing that gets often mentioned with this this part is kind of the game theory aspect of it. You know, just the, you know, we've seen this in other movies, like the, the, the Batman movies where they have the prisoner's dilemma game theory. And just as a recap for that, the for people who might not be familiar, the idea is that like, and I'm just going to read this from the Wikipedia article that I pulled it from. <laughs> um, but so the idea is that if A and B betray each other, like A and B are two criminals, right? And they, they get caught by the police and they get questioned and it's questioned separately. And so they're saying if A and B betray each other, then each of them serves two years in prison. So if like they tell on each other, say, oh, you the other guy did the crime, um, then they both get two years in prison. If A betrays B, but B remains silent, then A gets set free and B will serve three years in prison. So if A thinks that B is not going to kind of tell on them, but he tells on, on B, then he goes free and the other one gets three years uh, and, and reverse for, for the other one. And then if A and B both remain silent, then both of them will only serve one year in prison on the, the lesser charge. So the idea is that like by working together, they they should realize that like they'll have they have the best outcome possible combined of all four uh, potential outcomes that they they only get one year each. Now human nature lends goes to the fact that like, well, are they going to be selfish and try to tell on the other person and then get off on themselves, right? And hopefully that person doesn't do that. But like, will they both do that? Then they'll get a worse charge. <laughs> the the you know they'll they'll get a worse um, charge for both betraying each other. So this is a you know a famous problem that's that's often brought up with this kind of scenario where you know and similar here like if they det destroy each other then they can get the resources and, and kind of go on but if they kind of cooperate then like maybe they won't even be able to make it um, so it's not exactly the same but it, it seems similar enough and you know it's, it's like I said it's often brought up as a as, as kind of inspiration for for this section here. 
yeah, I mean, there's 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 a, you know a, a lot of other considerations you know to kind of take into account here. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, like you know, my my thoughts like how is this going to be top? You know, just for like the daily lives of the people on board. You know, would you rather have a uh, like you know because obviously you have to like you know continue life somehow, have a society, and have like relationships. And I forget about the specific details. Um, like I don't know if I, I I forgot whether he had like described whether like could these ships like intermingle or meet or would they permanently be kind of it was it too costly for them to like dock with each other and sort of combine the populations of I think they they did mention one time like the, it, when they were doing the wordless communication like that was like an option to you know can we all get up on one ship and they're like no there's not enough resources for everyone. And that envi- there's not enough like environmental resources and food and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, or or at least to like I don't know link two ships so that you know you could you know just like expand your habitat. Um, yeah, I mean that's kind of what they did at the end, right? Like they they talked about like after the other ships were destroyed, the blue space like kind of took parts of it and they, they had like these big like saddlebags, you know, looking kind of stuff on the on the side of it. And they took all the fuel that they need to, to go. But yeah, like I get what you're saying. Like, uh, but the the problem is like it's it's the same as the prisoners' dilemma, right? Like, if you say let's cooperate and do it, like that's the best solution. But are the other people gonna also cooperate? Or are they gonna take the better option for themselves? And so who, you know, who who's gonna make the first move? And apparently, Ultimate Law is the one that made the first move by sending those bombs. And John Behai was also going to do it, but uh, it's like he's just a little bit slow. Uh, and I also wonder if, like, the, the aspect that these are all military people um, take into account, although the military mindset of the future, you know, quote-unquote children, uh, seem very much different from those of John Behai, because they've, they've grown up in this kind of utopia of, you know, the, right. the like, oh, we're so great now. Like, I mean, they don't have to make those hard decisions, like, you know, like the, the older K, uh, um, crisis era uh, military people, like John Behai, have had to, had to make. I mean, you have any thoughts there? No, I don't have any thoughts about that. But I was wondering if there was any symbolism to natural selection being destroyed. Uh, if there's, if there, and and maybe this is a spoiler that we can talk about some other time. But but is it saying like humanity is is moving away from natural selection and more towards something else in the future to be able to survive uh, in this new universe or something else? So that to me. I was wondering, not to be an eighth grade English teacher, but I was wondering if there is some symbolism <laughs> or something in in the name of the ship and it being destroyed. Could be, yeah. I mean, I, there's also the the other aspect of of them being of the original names being in Chinese, and I don't know that they, I don't know what the translations are. Like, I'm not sure, like if the ships are all analogous or maybe they're even in English. I probably should look it up. I don't know how much thought went into all these different ship names, like. I can imagine like him, like just coming up with like this gigantic list of like ship names. Like he was like thinking, Oh, there's 2000 ships. I need to come, you know, probably name all of them, but he only, you know, named good 50 of them. Right. Um, but I'm sure there's some symbolism uh, between the, you know, for the natural selection getting destroyed and the ship that ultimately triumphs the, the one that, the one that destroys is called ultimate law. And the one that, that, that wins quote unquote wins the battle of darkness by, by moving on is a blue space. So there's probably, I would say this, this is probably not an accident, right? Of of that thing, those things happening. It felt like it got to this crisis point, you know, a little too quick. Like they just, mm. I, maybe this goes back to the, the, the problem of the, um, you know, it, it's hard to 
like suss out like what time scale this took, you know, because he talks, you know, he, he sort of speeds through the the sort of process of the psychological breakdown um yeah of the of the various crews, you know, pretty quickly. Um so, you know, I, I, I kind of wish, you know, it would have gotten more so, like uh like slight like 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 the crews like um kind of like long term planning or like how they you know like a look into like how they were planning to like you know create a society inspire some sort of like optimism or, or you know like we can do this um like it, it feels like they would have like tried harder to, to to like come to some sort of like uh how can we all survive you know how can we all survive this um you know yeah. like cooperatively before getting to this point but again i think that's just maybe a, a consequence of how quickly he kind of sped sped through that process right or it could be this he thinks that like humanity would you know humans as uh in their thought process would kind of quickly change their thinking to survival mode you know and like how do we survive and like what's the best way for and, you know the, they're all trying to preserve the human race and themselves right so maybe he's making a commentary on humanity's just kind of primitive mindset where they would just go for go on the attack right make maybe there's there's other other points to be made there there's no hierarchy among these these ships so if it if you come to the realization that you need all of the resources of these five ships or whatever for one you know like the only way we're going to make it is that that compression of resources um that that consolidation of resources uh like why would any one ship think that they're not deserving of the one to go, you know, being the one to go on. Right. Um, and they're all from different fleets too. Like they're all yeah. like, yeah, the, the, it's not like they're all part of the same fleet and they have like, yeah, some leadership. Like it could have been Zhang Beihai. Like he could have been the central leader and like kind of needed this out, but he seemed to have no interest. But I think because he realized like the nature of humanity uh, and that that's going to happen eventually. At some point, why not us? You know, right. <laughs> we, have, we have as much of a right to be the one as, as you guys. It's just a matter of who pulls the trigger first. Right, right. Yeah, so unfortunately, you know, we have, you know, talking about major characters die. We have John Behai die here. We have Don uh, Fei Shu dies. So, and we also have Dingy died in this chapter. So, yeah, not only was it consequential for the story, but yeah, lots of characters that we've, you know, maybe not major top, you know, tier one characters, but at least, you know, tier tier two character uh, depends if you think john bay has a tier one character anyway he is important to the story and he dies in this, in this chapter well yeah he's arguably more important than like lu g is or especially or dasher you know um, yeah yeah i mean so that i mean that's that's sort of uh you know an issue with the series is as far as the characters like what what defines the tiers of characters other than the the time that we, that we spent with them on the page you know because it's you know lu Ji, he gets the most screen time in this book up to this point is very un, seemingly very unimportant to the plot or there are no characters left that yeah. are seemingly important, you know, or like have, I mean, again, the outstanding, you know, there's, the, I guess, the outstanding mystery of, you know, why they, you know, they wanted to kill him, and does, does somehow his, his whole spell and whatever special about this, does that still somehow come into play? But it's very, very difficult for me to conceive as to how or why. That's mm -hmm. all, you know. You're kind of only going off the sort of like meta, like the expectation of a book trilogy is going to go. There has to be some something important about this character, and just kind of operating off of that sort of meta expectation. Yeah, it's a it's a very strange series in that in the, in 
that way and how it treats his characters and how important it's it's act his characters are to the plot and whether they're some of them just seem to be here just to be observers just to have a character to observe what's going on yeah it'd be interesting to see you know like we talked about before like how they're going to film this like obviously talking about the you know this kind of epic scale of space battle that's going to be awesome but you know how how are they going to treat characters how are they going to kind of do this uh, more psycho this psychological kind of story about you know like the the prisoners dilemma that kind of stuff like how are they going to show that effectively are people going to understand yeah it's going to be interesting to see how they're i mean these are the things they have to be thinking about because as a reader of this series like this is top tier event that happens in in this series so like you know similar to like how benioff and weiss when they when they took over game of thrones they're like well how are we gonna do the red wedding right like this is like right up there with that so they have to be thinking about how they're going to film it, not only from a te- technical perspective, but from like a, a character perspective as well. Yeah, I mean, I think you have that—that's the biggest question to me: is how do you, if if you're going to turn this into a you know a Netflix series, you gotta you gotta think in a somewhat broader perspective to you know to bring more people. I feel like to to reach a broader audience, you have to have characters that a broader you know audience could like empathize with and i think it you know only takes a very maybe very specific kind of like sci-fi reader psychographic to be solely invested in the sort of events and ideas you know on display and this and you know without any sort of like character investment it's hard for me for me to think that they're not going to have to like contrive something mm-hmm. um like build up certain characters more give them more to do or at least tell the story from the perspective of these characters um yeah in order to in in order to bring a larger audience into it yeah i i agree i i think i think these books set up in translating this to television i think it sets up really good world building but in terms of having relatable characters that you can follow from from season to season i think that's going to be much more difficult unless and i think we mentioned this a few weeks ago unless they choose to shift uh, shift certain scenes or certain parts of the books around a lot um, just to make the connections more more persistent and more like Tim's saying uh, interesting to general audiences I think it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see yeah yeah it, what they add what they enhance what they really focus in on yeah because you can only go so far with a general audience of cool sci-fi stuff right you need the <laughs> the more human relatable just not like love stories like traditional love stories there's like Lua Ji and, and Zhang Yan like that's the only like, love story they've had so far I, I can see them adding some of that stuff but it's not really like it's not a as big of a theme as traditional tv shows are yeah I mean, it's like do they have to you know like Ding Yi do they have to build you know maybe flesh out his character some more because you know, you know just to kind of add that impact you know because he's only he's only brought back in to this you know to simply be a pair of eyes yeah. investigating the um the, the droplet to show that side of this you know to give us some perspective of that side of the story otherwise it would just be like again like a wikipedia you know just kind of telling you know mm-hmm. accounting this like a wikipedia article um, yeah there's going to be you know there's going to have to be some changes there and that will like maybe piss off diehards of the of the series um yeah we'll we'll, we'll get pissed off no, no matter what happens i'm sure yeah i was gonna say diehards are never happy so <laughs> yeah <laughs> we'll always find some dead pick. Like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it depends on how they handle it. You could, you could, 
definitely see a TV series like going about like creating a, like a let me say like a like an audience insert anchor character in like a really hackneyed way like they I don't know invent some kids or something like that who are kind of watching you know like you know yeah. from like a disaster movie who are like the ones who've got to like you know observe all this and become the like oh I hope these I hope the kids make it out okay you know yeah um, yeah and I don't like that would be a really bad way of going about it if they did that then the diehards should be pissed but but yeah they kind of have to walk a fine line here create yeah. you know sort of a more, more of a through line throughout all of these different events that are happening that isn't ha doesn't end up being hackneyed yeah i have some ideas but they're kind of spoilery ideas so maybe we'll save them for another time sure all right well we only have one more episode left for this book what are the things that you guys are the most looking forward to to getting resolved or getting more clarity on you said the spell earlier anything else I mean, that's the big, that's, that's all that's kind of left at the moment uh, is, mm. you know, what, what, why is Luigi a, char <laughs> a character in this book? Yeah. Um, you know, what's going on on earth and why is he, you know, why, why is he a character? And also this is the sort of thing that I can easily imagine not being addressed in the rest of this book, but maybe coming back in the next book is, to, I forget the name of the sh survivor. She was at the blue space. Yeah. Blue space yeah. and, uh, and bronze age are the ones yeah. that, that survive. Is, is blue space just a footnote to this story? Um, or is it going to be important to the overall story again? And again, like I, I, I wouldn't even expect that to come up in this book, but maybe be a, if it, if it is something that factors into the, last book well keep reading and listening and we'll find out anything from you i mean uh no i i think i think you and talia have explained to me how this is going to end so I, <laughs> I think i think i'm good okay well thank you very much for listening please check out rehydrate.space for release episodes reading lists pronunciation guides and all the other information around the podcast and please leave comments by emailing us at rehydrate at festmail.com or on Twitter at rehydratepod. And join us next time for the season finale, episode six, The Snow Project, covering the rest of part three and the rest of The Dark Forest by Liu Shin. Thanks for listening.